be prepared. I did say something to them. Um, We're going to have the Morrises either come up or maybe we could even do it in the back area. I don't know. There's about as much room as up here as there is back there. But we're going to have them just get on their knees, and we're going to all as a church. I, I was thinking we just have a few, but we're just all as a church going to go gather around and, um, and, and lay hands on them and, and pray together, okay? So that's how I tend to end the service uh, this afternoon, and um, just kind of our sending off time. And we'll do that in a little bit after I share with you a few thoughts from uh, Acts chapter 13 and uh, some things that are that are. Uh, found here, but based firmly on uh, scriptures that actually do teach and uh, support some of the things that we find and actually were practiced here. So let's ask God to help us. Uh, Father, we need your direction. We do want to learn from you uh, today, and, and I pray that we would be stirred and challenged by the word of God, and that uh, we do our part as a church to um, be a help to the Morris family. We thank you, Lord, for the giving today and for just uh, the very generous, gracious gifts uh, given in our Sunday school time to be a blessing to them. And we pray that these, these funds would uh, meet needs and uh, just uh, be a, a great blessing to the family uh, in the days ahead. We pray, Lord, that our time now in the Word of God would be of help and, um, and that we would think through what you want from us. And may we be the kind of Christian we ought to be and, um, and take on the task that God has for us here. And, uh, and then as the work of God is done in Ecuador, um, that, uh, that your work would be moved forward and many souls would be one and lives impacted for the cause of Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm not a history buff. I'm really not. Uh, and that's not something you want to readily admit to anyone who's intrigued by or who loves history, but it's the truth, okay? Can't, can't lie to you, I'm just not. Fact is, I endured history classes, you know? It was one of those things, uh, kind of like uh, just the other day, I think it was Brother Wiley and maybe Brother Duncan, we were talking about English and, and, uh, and what was it, uh, the diagramming sentences, and I think, Brother Wiley, you were the one to say, I don't understand any of the reason behind being able to diagram sentences. I, I agree, I don't understand that. And you know, I never understood why you needed to know events, dates, times, places, and all these other things. And I know the sayings, you know, that if you don't know the past, you're, you're what, destined to, you know, whatever, and yeah, repeat it. Anyway, I know all those things, all right? I know the benefit of history, the value of it, but it doesn't change the fact that I hated sitting through history of Civ in college and everything else, you know, as far as those history classes. But the truth is, church history does hold at least some interest for me, and, um, and actually rightfully so. You, you can't read the book of Acts without learning church history. It's all about church history. It is how the church started. It's how the church was spread abroad to all uh, different uh, lands and how the word of God got to us. In fact, here's the truth. I was looking at Acts chapter 13, thinking about it as far as this week was concerned and, and this afternoon. And, and as I was reading it through, this is where Paul and Barnabas are sent on the first missionary journey. At least that's what it's often called. It's not called that in Bible, but it's first what we call the first missionary journey they went on. And it struck me as I was reading and pondering this passage that what happened here, this missionary endeavor, might very well have been the act that led to, that led to my salvation. 
You say, what? You're around then? No. Okay? I, like, like I said, Brother Farrington's the one that was around then, but I wasn't around then. And <laughs> I don't have Brother, I mean, if it was Brother Umstead, it would be him, but it's just moved back a couple rows, Brother Farrington. So, you know, I love you, all right? So, uh, all right. But, uh, no, the, the truth is none, none of us were around, but quite honestly, it's very possible that you and I are here today sit, seated in church and know the gospel because of this missionary journey. You say, well, it could have been anyone else. It could have been through the line of Cornelius. It could have, it, that's true, and there's nothing absolutely we can prove in regard to that. But we do know this. This is where uh, the ministry of reaching the Gentile world began in earnest, and God called Paul to that. In fact, it's in this first missionary journey that he ends up saying, I'm going to the Gentiles. I've, tr- I've done the work that I can with Jews. I've tried to win them. And, uh, and there was uh, very early in this ministry, he says, we're going to the Gentile world. And the Gentiles were like thrilled about that. And the next Sabbath day, they met with the Gentiles and started to share the good news. So um, in, in some ways, I guess I come to Acts 13 and I say, wow, maybe what they did here um, led to people who led people to Christ, who led people to Christ, who led people to Christ, who, to Christ, who, who then led my parents to Christ. And, um, uh, you know, again, there's no way we can know that. There's no way we can follow it through. But we do know that his ministry was with the Gentile world. And so I come to this passage and I think, what if the church didn't believe in sending people? What if the church said, well, we got enough people to win around our area? Couldn't the church at Antioch said that very thing? Paul and Barnabas, you're needed here. You got a work to do here. We need you to stay here. Are you listening, Brother Morris? You need to stay here. <laughs> Seriously. What if they had said that? Don't you think that is legitimate? Don't you think Paul and Barnabas were a blessing to the church there? I'll tell you they were. You say, how do you know that? Look at verse 1. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers. All right, who were the prophets and teachers in the church at Antioch? You tell me. Look at the verse. Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, whatever his name is. <laughs> Manian, all right, Manian or whatever. And, uh, and then Saul. So they were vitally involved in the church there. Serving, doing God's work. Look at verse 2. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted. You know what the word ministered is? They were involved in service to the Lord Jesus Christ. They were, they were involved in uh, serving the Lord by serving God's people in that local New Testament church. So what if the church was so focused on their, themselves and, well, we're just a small congregation. We don't know. We don't know how the church, we assume it was probably bigger. But actually, there were no mega churches then, okay? They met in homes. And um, uh, they, there probably was, if you would, a main group that would get together. But uh, there, were, there were churches all over. But the church at Antioch uh, had this meeting, and they sent out these men to do a missionary work in, in foreign lands because they needed to keep the focus of reaching the world. Now, there are a lot of things to consider from our text today. 
and a lot of things that we could say about it. I do want to remind you, though, it is a historical record. It wasn't intended to be a doctrinal lesson. But I love what took place here, and I love some of the lessons to be learned. Let me share some of the things that have been a challenge to me as I've looked, uh, looked this over. First of all, I want you to see the call. The call. God has a work for all people to do. If you look in verse 2, it says, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. Paul and Barnabas had a work to accomplish in this passage. Now, I'm not going to spiritualize the text. I'm not saying that, that God is calling you in the same way he called Paul and Barnabas. In fact, what's interesting to me is God had already called Paul and told Paul that he was going to go out and he was going to have a ministry of reaching people with the gospel. That happened on the, the road to Damascus. And none of us are going to have an experience like that, all right? And none of us should. And if you do, I'm worried about you, all right? You're not going to uh, be blinded by a light and, and talk to Jesus Christ. It isn't going to happen. God doesn't do that in our day anymore. But the truth of the matter is there is a sense in which throughout the Bible we read and we find that God has a calling for all men. In fact, we could start with at least the broad spectrum of that, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It's found in Mark chapter 16 and in verse 15 where God has given the command to all believers and we all have this work to do. Look, what the, what the Morrises are going to be doing in Ecuador, here's the truth. They've been doing it here. And that's right. And they're going to be gone, and someone else needs to be doing it here. And that is all of us. Um, and wherever we live, God has a calling for us, and God has people for us to reach, and God has people for us to be involved in. There is a work for all of us to do. As the song says, in the harvest field now ripen, there's a work for all to do. Hark, the voice of God is calling to the harvest, calling you. And there is a harvest all around us, and we have got a work to do. So God has a work for all people to do. Again, it's not going to be like Paul and Barnabas's. In fact, we're not even told how it happened, except that somehow in the midst of this time, God's Holy Spirit started to work and directed both Paul and Barnabas and directed the church. Okay, not just Paul and Barnabas, because this was like a this was a gathering of the leaders and teachers and others of the church, and they were fasting and praying, obviously believing God had something for the people in that church, and God directed at that time. So I don't believe it was the call that Paul got, because it's Paul and Barnabas, and I have a work for them. So they had a specific work to do, and I have no doubt. Um, I have no doubt at all that God has called Keith and Mandy, and he's got a work for them to do, and that work happens to be in Ecuador. And uh, that's a work they're to be faithful to. And there is a sense in which what took place here is what we're doing as, as a church today, sending people to fulfill the work that God has called them to. Now, I want to remind you, we need to do our work, and we need to never lose sight of the fact that we've got people to win here and we also have to keep our eyes open to the world around us and understand that sometimes we can become, if you would, so centralized on we got to take care of things here that we forget there's a world that needs to be one. And that God, if he's going to call people, is going to call people out of churches like ours to go to foreign lands. Now, no one else can go to the mission field from our church unless there's other people that come in and fill their place, all right? Just wanted you to know that. You just don't have that permission unless you talk to me about it, and I'm not going to give it. So there you have it. Um, 
I, I'm teasing, all right? Um, uh, in fact, the, the truth is when, when uh, Mandy was telling the story, uh, that is the story. When the Morrises came, uh, Brother Morris did sit down with me. I remember that and say, and said, you know, um, we're not sure what God would have for us in the future. Um, thought that perhaps they would go to the mission field, but until that time they felt called to help maybe a small church and help it grow. And they've faithfully done that for a number of years. And, um, and now God is moving them on to another place, to another work. And, um, and we're, we're, um, we're, we're thankful for that, and we're not thankful for that, okay? We can have fun with that a little bit. Um, and, uh, and I'm thankful that God has worked in that way. But let me tell you something. It just didn't happen overnight. It, it happened because, because they had a heart for it and because they saw that God has a work for them to do. And they did it here. And then as they were doing it here, God made it clear there's someplace else for them to go. And so we better not stop them from going where God wants them to go and where God wants them to be. Now, um, so we have a calling. And the truth is we all have a calling. And God may not want you in Ecuador. God may not want you in Hungary. God may not want you uh, in, in Canada. Uh, in, but God may very well have people for you to reach here. You need to do that work, and you need to be involved in it. The second truth I wanted you to see, I did say it's short, okay? The conduct that led to God's direction. Would you look at this? Because it, it's interesting. I think sometimes we pass it over. We look at the things that happened and what they did, and they fasted, and they laid hands on these people, and then they sent them out. But before we ever get there, please notice these words. Verse 2, as they ministered to the Lord, first of all. So here's the thing. They were faithful. Consistent servants. And if you want to note, look if you would back at chapter 12. Um, oh, actually, at the end of chapter 11, uh, Agabus stood up, a prophet in Jerusalem. Um, uh, sorry, he came from Jerusalem to Antioch. He stood up and he said, by the, directed by the Spirit of God, there was going to be a dearth throughout all the world. You see that in verse 28? And it did come to pass. So when that all happened, the disciples uh, determined to send relief. So how did they do that? Well, they sent it to the elders by the hands of two men. So guess who was serving well before they ever they went on their first missionary journey? These are men who were serving God. And then we read in chapter 13 and verse 2, these people were ministering to the Lord. It means they were serving the Lord. They were out doing a work. The word minister means a public servant. But actually it says minister to the Lord, so they were God's servants doing God's work. And by the way, they have. The Morrises have been a great blessing here. This is not praising men, okay? It's just not. We're not, we're not trying to do that today. But they have been faithful. And they've been faithful servants here, faithful to go out visiting. Uh, faithful to do whatever needed to be done, to serve in various ministries of the church. They've helped you know, almost every year, I think, in vacation Bible time um, and just been involved in serving. That's the kind of people God calls. God doesn't call someone who's sitting in the seat saying, well, someday God's going to tell me what he wants me to do. God wants you to get going and serve and doing. And then, you know what? There may come a time where he says, I want you to do this someplace else. But right now, you should be serving and ministering. 
And it's interesting to me that these guys weren't called like, oh, okay, all of a sudden, oh, I had no idea that was going to happen to me. It said, they're serving, they're doing, they're working, they're involved. And God said, hey, it's time to go to another place. I got something else for you to do now. And we need to be doing the work. And by the way, people need to pick up the slack and help. Uh, just as when the Umsteads went, people have to pick up the slack and help. And I'm thankful for people who have. But I'm telling you that God's going to call people who are already serving. So um, under this conduct that led to God's direction, we had faithful, consistent service, and then we have sincere, sacrificial prayer. These were people who prayed. Look, your spiritual condition isn't determined by whether you're here at 4.30 on Sunday afternoon, evening, whatever you want to call it, or whether you're here on Wednesday night. But I will say this. Um, God's people need to be a praying people. And the prayer meeting at this church is not an unimportant service. And the prayer time at 4.30 on Sunday evening is not an unimportant time. It's a vitally important time. It was in that prayer time that God directed these men. It was. They say, well, they were fasting. It seems as if God just had some specific direction and so they were giving themselves this matter of prayer. It was serious, sincere, earnest prayer where they were sacrificing food so that they could communicate and talk with God about this. And it was as they were in that serving the Lord and as they were sincerely praying that God then began to, to direct and made it clear, hey, we've got a work for you to do. And, um, and that's a needed thing. It's a needed thing. It's a needed thing in our church. And, um, and yeah, I'm, I'm throwing in a, a, a plug like Brother Deals did this morning in Sunday school uh, for Sunday evening prayer time and for Wednesday night prayer time um, because it is through a praying church that God does a great work. And God does make his will known. I came across this, and I just, let me share it with you. George Mueller and God's will. Um, Someone shared how he came to discern God's will, and he actually wrote about it. And I'd like you to, to just think about this. Uh, George Mueller lived from 1805 to 1898. He was known as a man of, of great prayer, and God worked in a, in a miraculous way to feed a number of children at an orphanage. Um, many times didn't have food on the table, but they sat down as if they were going to eat. And he believed God would provide, and he would pray for the food, and uh, without fail, the times they didn't have anything, God provided. After the prayer, uh, God provided miraculously. Mueller said this. Um, he said, uh, he outlined the general method he used to discern God's will. This is good counsel for Christians today. Here's what he wrote. I seek at the beginning to get my heart into such a state that it has no will of its own in a given matter. When you're ready to do God's will, whatever it may be, nine-tenths of the difficulties are overcome. Secondly, having done this, he said, I don't leave the result to feeling or simply impression. If I do so, I leave myself liable to great delusion. Thirdly, when I'm seeking God's will, I seek the will of the, will of the Spirit of God through or con in connection with the Word of God. The Spirit and the Word must be combined. If I look to the Spirit alone without the Word, I lay myself open to great delusions also. If the Holy Ghost guides us at all, he will do it according to the Bible and never contrary to Scripture. Fourth, 
Next, I take into account providential circumstances. These often plainly indicate God's will in connection with his word and spirit. Fifth, I ask God in prayer to reveal his will to me aright. Six, through prayer, the study of the word, and reflection, I come to a deliberate judgment according to the best of my ability and knowledge. If my mind is thus at peace and continues so after two or three more petitions to God, I proceed accordingly. And here was his comment at the end. I found this method always effective in both trivial or important issues for discerning God's will. Um, can God direct you because you're serving? Or can God direct you because you're praying? These people were. And then the third thing I wanted to share with you is the church had a part. Uh, they were involved in the call. Look at verse uh, two, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work wherein to have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. And this is an amazing thing. Who sent them away? The local church sent them away. Look at verse four. Who sent them? The Holy Ghost. God has directed the Morrises to go. But let me tell you something. We are sending them. Both are mentioned here in this passage. This is not an unimportant time. Now, I know we've already had kind of an ordination service, and we already had, a, if you would, a commissioning service. But I really do feel like today uh, it, it just would be good for us to do what they did in the church in verse 3. That we understand that, that we are, as a church, sending. The Holy Ghost is sending, no doubt about it. It's not a church who's doing the sending. The Holy Ghost is doing sending, but the church did a sending. Do you see that in, this, in these verses? Okay, this, this is, uh, these people are our family. And we're sending family out to do work for God. And, um, and I... I we just, I just want you to see that. The church had a part. They were, involved, they were involved in the call. They were involved in the sending. So you had a part in that, by the way. Again, you've been giving all along for now a couple of years. Um, you've been supporting them in so many different ways. We've been praying for them in a number of different ways, and now it's just time for us to, uh, to send them forth. So let's do that very thing. Um, let's pray over them and uh, send them out. Um, and... I hope I hope you don't mind being involved with me in this. I, again, I thought we'd just have some of the, the leaders come, but I don't see why not. We don't have that bigger group. We can do this.